becoming an excellent husband does not just happen. It takes work. And if you put in the effort to be a fantastic husband, there is a great reward. What I want to share with you in this podcast is three steps that can change your marriage. The title of the podcast is Three Steps to Becoming the Excellent Husband. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. You are listening to Your Daily Drive. That's the name of the podcast. I am Rick Thomas, and I spend my days at rickthomas.net. That is my cyber home. If you would like to come visit, the light is always on, and you're welcome to visit us anytime. We are a 24-7 shop, and so you can come anytime, especially if you have questions, if we can serve you. That's what we enjoy doing. That's what we want to do. And you are welcome to come to rickthomas.net and ask your questions and We'll be waiting for you. Three steps to becoming the excellent husband. If you want to read the transcript of this podcast, you can go on the website, find that name, that title, and you can search it in the search box. It'll pop up for you. And you're welcome to read this article if you like, and you can also share it with others I received a note from an email from Cindy this week. She said, your materials are simply excellent. I'm using your article, The Unparalleled Benefit of Living in an Unchangeable Situation, with a counselee tomorrow. Thank you for making your resources so readily available. You're welcome, Cindy, and thank you for taking the time to turn around and send an email our way expressing your gratitude. I appreciate that. As you're moving forward in life, doing work for the Lord, helping people, I hope that article was a benefit to your counselee. And I appreciate you sharing our content with others. Please always do that. We want to make our resources readily available for this specific reason. You don't have to be a biblical counselor like Cindy, you can be just a normal, regular Christian, but everybody's called to counsel. Everybody's called to disciple. She just happens to do it on a more formalized level, and she's had specific training to help her do that. But you can do that too, as far as help people. And if we can use our, if you can use our resources in that process, that would be fantastic. Ashley sent in a note, said, I love the, com- the communication book and plan on using this book with the teens. She said, I am, that I'm seeing currently. This ministry is amazing. I have referred uh, to many of my, I've referred it to many of my counseling friends. Thank you, Ashley, for doing that. And thank you for letting us know what you're doing. That's always encouraging to hear Sometimes sitting behind a microphone, you can think that you're just talking out into air. And occasionally I am reminded that I am talking to real people in real situations, doing real stuff, hard stuff, like Cindy counseling a person who no doubt is in a difficult situation and is having a hard time because Cindy is sending giving the article the unparalleled benefit of living in an unchangeable situation to her counselee. So no doubt uh, it's a difficult situation, and it's good for me to be reminded of that from time to time. And Ashley, thank you. 
not only from benefiting from the communication book, but also sharing that with teens. What a wonderful privilege. I wish I was one of those teens back when I was a teen. I made so many mistakes and didn't have someone like you, Ashley, in my life to uh, share resources like this to help me with some of my struggles. And then I have another email. I'm not going to share the name of this individual because the email is a it's really different. It says, I've lived with a harsh, angry, bitter man for 25 years. Your articles have helped me so much. I am glad that they have helped you. I am sad that you have lived with a harsh and angry husband for a quarter of a century. I, I share this email with you because you, you probably don't know this. You have no reason to know this. But it's one of the more common emails that we receive. It really is. Some version of that email about people in a marriage that is difficult, uh, painful, and they are struggling and they're looking for anything, any kind of lifeline. And occasionally and often, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, I mean, the small amount of people that write to us about things like that, it, it doesn't compare to the number of people who are in difficult marriages. And I wanted you to know that, uh, that it, it is common. It, it's, it's normal, and it's not right, but it's a, it's a normal situation. It's so common is what I mean by the use of normal, but it's not right. And people are hurting. They're in relationships, and they are not changing. And it's, re it's the reason that I wrote this article here. Three Steps to Becoming the Excellent Husband. I wish the lady who sent in this email, I wish her husband would sit down and read this article and determine that he is going to walk down these three steps and begin to make changes into his life. I don't think that's going to happen. I, It would be a miracle. But perchance he does, I would love for him to have this article. And if you are a husband who's looking for a template to live a better life before God and with your wife, then I highly commend this article. It's a tough article. If your marriage is in a bad spot, it is work. It's a lot of work, but it's worth it. So let's get into it. Three steps to becoming the excellent husband. Now, here it comes. You're already expecting this, so let me go ahead and give it to you. When a Christian talks about how to be a good husband, one of the first passages mentioned is Ephesians 5.25. So I know you're ready for it, so not to dis disappoint you. Let me share Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. But I want to let you know that that verse is a sentence. There's a whole sentence attached to that verse, which means the sentence is three verses. Sometimes we, we look at a verse, we read it, and, and we pull it out and benefit from it, but it's only part of a sentence, and we don't read the whole sentence. And so I want to share the complete sentence with you, which is Ephesians 5, 25, 26, and 27. Here's what it says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, that's what we all know. That's what we all have heard a zillion times. 
Paul finishes the sentence by saying that he, the husband, might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I said earlier when I said that he might sanctify her, I said he, the husband, I meant he, Christ, is the context, that Christ might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that Christ might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. We all know the verses, right? This passage is what we husbands are supposed to do. Now, how about it? Do you know how to apply this section, this passage, to your marriage practically? That is really the crux of the matter. You know the verse. You probably probably know the passage. Verses 26 and 27 also. But the bigger question is, do you know how to apply it practically to your marriage? Is the power that is behind these verses transforming you and your wife? Sometimes a passage like this can be so familiar that we do not take the time to see what it means. Instead, we can falsely assume it is working for us when it really is not because we don't understand what it's saying. Now, I suspect this is probably true for many of us husbands as it pertains to this passage of Scripture. The best way to understand this three-verse sentence is to break it down into its meaningful parts and see how the significant parts connect and interrelate. So this passage has three useful parts for the content of this podcast about being an excellent husband. Part one, die to yourself. That's verse 25. Part two, sanctify your wife. Husband, you sanctify your wife. That's part, uh, that's verse 26. Part three, verse 27, enjoy the benefits of your wife. So we have die for your wife, 25, sanctify your wife, 26, enjoy the benefits of your wife, 27. The temptation for me is, is to want to enjoy the benefits of the marriage without doing the necessary work of dying and sanctifying to make it great. I want to bypass step one, step two, and just get right to the benefits. Now, I know that this is unwise, but I can still quickly fall into this trap. It's like desiring a new house without doing the work that leads to the enjoyment of a new home. This concept is common sense to any good thing that is worth future enjoyment, but for many reasons, we are susceptible to the quick fix instant gratification expectations of our culture. Now, here are two reasons that we do this, two reasons that we bypass the hard work and just we want to get to the benefits. Number one is ignorance. I do not know how to disciple my wife. Now, I've asked some version of that question many times in counseling, asking the husband as the leader of the home, what does his discipleship care look like for his wife? How is he discipling her? And they look at me, they don't know. Blank stares, crickets. And so one of the reasons that we bypass the dying to yourself and sanctifying your wife, sanctifying your wife is I just don't know how to do it. 
I want the benefits, but I'm ignorant on how to get there. Number two is laziness. I don't want to disciple my wife. And that is so true as well. And so in this podcast, I'm going to try to tackle the ignorance aspect rather than the laziness aspect. I'm not going to go after both of those. I just want to deal with the ignorant part, the lack of awareness. If a husband is lazy about his marriage, there are deeper issues that need to be brought to the light before intelligent implementation can happen. It would take a whole other podcast and a whole lot more talking to deal with the laziness aspect, the passive man, the lazy man, the apathetic man. And I do have a lot of resources on our website, rickthomas.net, that you can go to and and learn about the lazy passive male. If you're one of those husbands who wants to learn to implement this passage of Scripture into your marriage practically, I encourage you to keep on listening. So let's deal with point number one. Will I die? Verse 25, die for your wife. As you can readily see, this is one of those gospel-centered passages that perfectly falls under the Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 rubric, where Paul said, Have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, Christ came, left his place to come to our place, to die for us in our place. Before Jesus did any practical, functional, or transforming work in our lives, he had to make a major decision. Will I die for these people? Before he did the work of dying, he had to decide, will I die? Thus, I begin this section by asking that question, will you die? There was a need on our planet. Humanity rebelled against God and became totally depraved. Without any hope of a course correction, Jesus, the only right answer to our problem, decided he was going to give up what he had with his Father to save us. So he set aside his life for our benefit. This action is your first decision. As a husband, do you want to set aside your life to cooperate with the Lord in the ongoing sanctification of your wife? It is a huge question. This question does not imply, by the way, that a wife cannot cooperate with the Lord in her own sanctification. Somebody might be listening to this saying, well, who needs a husband? I can be sanctified without him. I don't need him. Well, sure. There is grace for any wife to mature in her sanctification without a husband. And sadly, in too many marriages, that's the only choice on the table because her husband is not going to help her. But her ability here, in this context, in this passage, her ability is not the issue. She has the ability. The point of this passage, of this sentence, in these three verses, is the husband's responsibility. Not her ability, but his responsibility. When a man and woman marry each other, there is a responsibility on the husband to be part of the ongoing care of his wife. Period. In this sense, there are one flesh... And the husband is the leader of their one fleshness. He is required to participate in her sanctification, which is one way a husband is an extension and continuation of the gospel work that Jesus initiated two millennia ago. 
Whenever we commit to anything, there's a responsibility to step up in our efforts to serve and steward that responsibility. Too often we acquire something and neglect the obligation that comes with the acquisition. You get yourself a wife, you marry the woman, you acquire the woman, but you neglect the obligation of the responsibility. There is always a sacrifice involved in ongoing care. When a, woman ask, when a man asks a woman to marry him, that question comes with a promise of protective care, unending love, lifelong serving, the very things Jesus provides for us. That's why we're tying the role of the husband to Christ, and that's what Paul did in this verse. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's always a sacrifice involved in ongoing care. When a man asks a woman to marry him, that question comes with a promise of protective care, unending love, and lifelong serving, the very thing Jesus provides for us. So let me ask you a few questions, husband. When you think about your responsibility toward your wife's ongoing sanctification, what comes to your mind? Another question, what things interfere with your ability to provide care, love, and service to your wife? Or what do you need to give up to be a more effective husband? And then finally, lastly, under this section, the question is, will I die? Husbands, as Christ died, you are to die. Here's your fourth question. Are there any hurts, regrets, grievances, or resentments that keep you from being Jesus to your wife? So the first question is, will I die? The second question is, will I sanctify? Because that's what the text says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Will I die? Point two, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with words so that he might present the church to himself. Sanctify. So will I die? Will I sanctify? Your wife is like you. She is damaged goods. She was damaged by many things, all of which have rendered her imperfect. She came into the world fallen, a fallen creature, Adamic. We are all broken she came from the dinged and dented section of the store, and the truth is the whole store is full of dinged and dented people. The husbands, too. There are no perfect people from which to choose. Your wife has issues. She had issues before you married her, and you married her. Too many of us husbands are like the irresponsible teenagers in that we, we want the sex, but we don't want the work that comes with the sex. We want the benefit, as I was saying earlier, but we don't want to work for it. There should be an unbroken connection between the commitment to marriage and the work of marriage. To be married is a call to work, and nobody should be working harder in the marriage than the husband because he is the leader. When the subordinates of the organization are working harder than the leader of the group, the ongoing health of the team will grow weaker by the day. Jesus said it this way in Luke 6, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he's fully trained will be like his teacher. Now, we are not more significant than the one who died for us. 
We're not more significant than Christ, but we can be like him. And Jesus is our sacrificial leader who will always put more effort into our relationship. If the husband is not putting more effort into the ongoing stability of the marriage, the marriage will not reflect Christ well. The husband wants to reflect Christ, and Christ is a worker, always dying for us. He died for us and always sanctifying us. Jesus is sanctifying, cleansing, and washing us with the word. He studies us so he can understand us to bring his most effective care to us. This sacrifice has a great reward. And so my second question here in the three steps to be an effective husband is, will you sanctify? Here are some questions. Number one, are you a student of your wife and what are you learning? Remember 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. Are you a student? Your wife is a book, a page turner. You should be turning page by page, taking copious notes, learning, intrigued by the mystery of who she is. Are you a student of your wife? What are you learning? Number two, is there something, including your children or your job, that interferes with your work as a husband? If something is more important to where it interferes with the sanctifying work that you should be doing in your wife, then that is a problem. Number three, how are you making your marriage better? With this question, I would love you to be specific and practical. If you print this article off, this article, Cindy, by the way, the counselor that I referenced in the email earlier, this would be an excellent homework assignment because I have uh, four, eight, uh, looks like 13 questions here, Cindy, or anybody else that wants to use this. But I have a lot of questions here embedded in this article that make a great homework assignment for a husband. There's also a ton of text here, a lot of scriptures that they can click on and read. How are you making your marriage better? Be specific and practical. And question number four, do you know how to disciple your wife? A very basic question that does need to be asked. And then the follow-up is list a few ways in which you're doing this. Be specific and be practical again. Be specific, be practical. All right, so the first question in the three steps to be an excellent husband is, will I die? That is your starting point. If you're not willing to die to yourself, then you won't get to number two and number three. The second step is, will I sanctify? I have decided I'm going to die to myself, and I'm going to learn how to sanctify my wife as this Text gives us a model. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. And then step number three, will I enjoy? It is not wrong to work for the benefits of your work. Let me say that again. It is not wrong to work for the benefits of your work. It is wrong to expect the benefits of work without putting in the effort. That's lazy. Sorry. 
This problem is where I struggle with the saying, love is an act without an expectation of anything in return. I don't agree with that. I don't, the, this is not what the Bible teaches, especially in our marriages. You should expect something from the work of your labors. Jesus will receive the work of his hands. Like the law of sowing and reaping, the return on our investment nearly always parallels the investment. I've seen the negative aspect of sowing and reaping over and over and over again in counseling. A husband complains about his marriage, but after you unpack the relationship, you begin to see how he has neglected his husbandry responsibilities. In such cases, he has been leading the marriage while on autopilot, and he is reaping the fruit of his labors, which is bad fruit. We should not complain about the poor condition of our marriages if we have not lived a die-to-yourself-while-living-for-the-other-person mindset during the marriage. Before you complain about your marriage, make sure you have been doing your part to make it better. If you have not been doing your part and the marriage is floundering, the first thing to do is not complain but change. It is easy to get this sequence wrong by bringing our first and most substantial critiques against our marriage partner rather than against ourselves. If your marriage is poor, start by critiquing and changing yourself which is what Jesus taught in Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. I was grading a student today in her mastermind program, and she was having a, a little dust stop with a relative, and the relative brought a rebuke to the student and brought the rebuke in a poor way, arrogant, self-righteous, mean-spirited, unkind, harsh. And the student benefited from the rebuke because there were things in the rebuke. <laughs> there were things in the rebuke that the student could learn and benefit from. And I was so encouraged by reading this from the student that even in a poor situation, you can benefit and learn and grow. And so if your marriage is poor, start by critiquing and changing yourself first. At any point during your marriage, you can realign yourself to the other-centered direction of the gospel. You can change and become gospel-centered at any point if you choose to. If your marriage is struggling, go back to verse 25 and learn how to die to yourself. If you lead your wife by dying, step one, and sanctifying, step two, there's a good possibility you will reap the benefits of a beautiful marriage. There is a possibility. At some future time, Jesus will present to himself a fantastic church, a beautiful bride. He will reap the benefit of his work, of his dying to himself. His was physical dying. And we see him dying to himself throughout his gospel work in the four gospels. And now he is sanctifying us in our progressive sanctification, and he will reap a beautiful bride. He will enjoy the benefits of his labors. So, dear husband, it's time to get to work. Here's your call to action. Practically and effectively, living out Ephesians 5 may be one of the hardest things for a man to do. It is typically harder than working our jobs. To be married well means you must die well. Working a job does not seem to carry the same kind of burden. 
Perhaps that is because we intuitively know how to work well on a job vocationally. When it comes to being married, the prize seems more challenging and elusive. A wife is not as cooperative as a, as a job. This is, uh, your wife is an independent person with a unique sin nature that can be polarizing to your sin nature. When this is true, there's a temptation to use manipulative means like anger to get her back in line because we don't know what to do. We don't know what else to do. Living in uninterrupted proximity to another sinner is a risky business that we cannot control. That's why we need God. If you generally, genuinely want to have a beautiful marriage, you'll have to carefully examine what is going on in your heart when you think about and interact with your wife. You may need a friend to come alongside you to help point out some of your blind spots. Now, I don't have time at the end of this podcast, but I do have five more questions that I would encourage you to go on the website. If you're really interested in this and you want to change, go to the website, find the article, type in the search box, three steps to becoming an excellent husband, and you can get this last question set. And I would encourage you to do that because it will help you. There are some action items for you to do. And if you're really interested in this, this will make an excellent homework assignment. Not just the eight questions that I've given you already, but these final five. And then if you want to talk about this, please go to rickthomas.net and ask your question and we will continue to serve you with joy. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.